Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm Chris Hardy. Today, we're talking about gaming addiction. But first, the headlines. It's 2018 and Trump is still tweeting about Hillary Clinton's email. Now he's called for the Justice Department to investigate Huma Abedin, one of Clinton's aides, for having reportedly sent State Department passwords to her personal Yahoo email account. By Tuesday, at least 21 people were killed in Iran as a result of protests against economic conditions. Tens of thousands of Iranians took to the streets, with hundreds arrested in demonstrations. Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei blamed the regime's international enemies for challenging the, quote, progress to the Iranian nation. And on Tuesday, South Korea proposed high-level talks with North Korea. This came just a day after North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, suggested inter-Korean dialogue about easing military tensions and about North Korea's participation in the Winter Olympics. This meeting could potentially strain relations between South Korea and the Trump administration. And now here's the news you won't get anywhere else. Anyone who's ever lost an hour engrossed in Candy Crush can recognize that games have a distinctly addictive quality. But while it's easy to throw around the word addiction, excessive gaming can be a real, serious, and sometimes deadly condition that millions of people, particularly young people, suffer from. And now, the World Health Organization is considering officially recognizing it as a disease. Here's Vice Executive Editor Dory Carr Harris speaking with motherboard writer Kaylee Rogers about her article on gaming addiction. This year, 2018, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has released a new draft of its international classification of diseases, and they are considering adding gaming addiction. Is that how they're phrasing it? They're calling it gaming disorder, but basically it's gaming addiction, as most people would understand it. And and what does that mean? I mean, it's a similar condition to gambling addiction, to even drug addiction or alcohol addiction. And I think it's really easy to sort of brush it off as kind of funny or make jokes about it because like we're all kind of addicted to our phones. But in serious cases where this really is having an effect on the person's mental well-being, it can get pretty serious and it sort of takes over their life to the point where they're not able to prioritize and take care of all the other aspects of their life. It's having a really negative impact. So not sleeping, not eating properly, not socializing. And to some extent, when it gets really bad, I mean, people have actually died from this, from gaming for too long and having heart attacks or sleep deprivation or various different things like that. So it is a real condition. And the fact that the WHO is considering adding it to their list just shows how serious it can be. What are some of the sort of positive benefits of now having it in this specific classification? So this is, again, just the draft. So we're not sure if it'll it'll make it to the final cut. But it just will add some legitimacy because, as I said, I think people really 
shrug this off as not a real thing or, or they think it seems kind of silly or not something to be taken that seriously. And when you have the World Health Organization categorizing it, naming it, classifying it, that means that health organizations around the world, which look to this compendium to, to decide how to administer treatment, how to provide funding, how to keep statistics, it's going to really make a difference in that aspect. So people will actually be taking it seriously. Medical professionals will be able to identify it and understand it better. And so people will actually be able to start getting treatment and getting help. Yeah, as you say, there have been some, you know, various serious cases. I think there was a, a man in South Korea recently who died after gaming for 50 hours almost consecutively with, you know, few sleep breaks and few bathroom breaks. Do you think that this acknowledgement, even though it is in the draft only at this point, does sort of point to a, a sea change in terms of how we're looking at our relationship to technology and, and its effect on our lives? I think that people are becoming more aware of that impact and that relationship. People are becoming more understanding of the fact that a lot of these tools that we use have been designed and have been manufactured in a way to try and keep us using them for as long as possible. They're designed to be addictive. You know, Instagram doesn't want you to stop looking at Instagram. They want you to stay on there all day. So it's designed in a way to pull you in. And it's no different with games. And it's only getting more and more advanced. So in a way, this sort of legitimizes this condition that can occur as a result of sort of the ways that technology has been optimized to keep our attention for as long as possible. You know, the WHO isn't alone in this. Disorders of this kind have been in the DSM, which is more about, you know, mental health and mental disorders for a few years now, almost five years. What are some of the differences between a classification like that and this one in the WHO's new compendium? A lot of people like to cite the DSM, but when it comes to actual mental health professionals, it's it's more like a a reference guide, but it's not necessarily the be-all and end-all of how they perform treatment, how they diagnose, how they go about their practice. And it's also specifically with the APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association. So it's not a global reference tool necessarily. The World Health Organization is part of the UN. It's got hundreds of member states that all look to it. Many of them base their own member like country laws and guidelines on this uh, on this manual that they publish. So it has a really direct impact on how governments are, are shaping their healthcare policy. So this will really help either people who might be suffering from this kind of addiction or friends or family members to start thinking about this as, you know, something along more along the lines of like a substance abuse problem and identify that in people that they're close to or people that they know. What are some of the potential treatments or solutions that have been proposed or being explored right now? Right. So that's starting to develop more and more. And, and we're lucky in the fact that we've learned a lot from previous treatment development for different substance abuse disorders. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we didn't consider even like alcoholism to be a mental health disorder. People just thought like, oh, you're just a drunk. And there, you know what I mean? There wasn't this legitimacy that we have now. So it takes time for people to understand and really embrace what these disorders look like, what they do to people, and then how people can get help. So they call them rehab centers because it is a very similar treatment where you're having to break down certain behavior patterns. You're having to reframe thinking in order to, 
you know, release yourself from this sort of compulsive desire to, to continue gaming. And I think that there have been examples, especially with younger people who have gone through this process and have been able to get back to a healthier, more balanced life that isn't all consuming with this one particular aspect of it. With addictions that we might be slightly more familiar with, alcohol or substance abuse, I think we are all very aware of one of the you know main philosophies that really does say that if people want to maintain sobriety, they can't drink ever again or do drugs or gamble. Is that the same with technology or are people able to find a more happy median or balance in their lives? From what I understand from previous examples, it depends on the person. So some people are able to still, you know, play games occasionally in a more balanced, healthy way after they've gone through treatment and maybe some time has passed. But other people, it's just not something that they can really play around with, you know, similar to to um, people dealing with alcoholism. Like some people are able to sort of get it under control and, and have a drink now and then. But a large majority of people just have to decide that that's not going to be part of their life anymore and, and find a way to manage it without having that substance. <laughs> so in this case, it would be games. But yeah. To read Kaylee Rogers' full article, go to motherboard.vice.com. All right, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. For more news and culture, check out vice.com and tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now.